How many of you like to be entertained? See who's honest. Who likes to be entertained? Yes, we like to be entertained. How many of you like to have your uh, thinking challenged? Or maybe you like a difficult word puzzle. Uh, or maybe you like or want to admire, you, you take great joy in admiring beauty. You like looking at artwork. Cool. Some of you like artwork, yeah. Uh, how many of you enjoy a great competition? Like watching competition like the basketball game this week, right? Uh, trying to figure out who's going to win. I love strategy, watching sports events and seeing, okay, how's he going to go this way? What's he going to do next? One of the reasons why I like football is just, you know, the strategy behind the game and seeing people, the coaches trying to do the plays and stuff like that. Maybe you like to read a good book or you love a good love story or a mystery or a suspense story. Or maybe you're one of those relational type people. You like relationships and you really enjoy sitting down and chatting with a friend or spending time talking to them. You know, all of these are the places that we find satisfaction, correct? Our joy, we are entertained. All of these are ways that we... Uh, find joy and spend our time. And all too often we think we think of these things as um, we think of them as evil. Uh, and especially in some of our circles, we get oh you can't do that. Don't watch a movie. Don't read a book. Don't whatever you do. Don't read C.S. Lewis. You know. Don't read one of those books. You know. One of those that is fantasy. Don't read any of those things. But folks, I think our, our I think we might be missing something if we're not careful. We were made to be joyful. We were made to be satisfied. We were made, in a sense, to be entertained. Really? To be entertained? Yes, the problem is not that we like to be entertained. The problem is not that we like to be satisfied. The problem is not... We like joy and, joy, and seeking joy is not the problem. The problem is, ultimately, we are way too easily satisfied. And we are way too easily entertained by the wrong things or by lesser things to a greater degree. I think all, uh, we often, and, and I'm guilty of this too, uh, I get a sports event and I think, oh, this is just great. I love watching sports events. But watching a sports event ultimately is not as entertaining and as joyful and as satisfying as seeking and knowing the Savior. Knowing Christ is where our greatest joy is found. He is the ultimate, all-satisfying Savior. Our problem is, is that we are way too easily satisfied. Y'all have heard the illustration. It's like children playing in a mud puddle when they could go out and bask in a beach with all the sand and all the glory of building a great sand castle. Instead, we're going to go play in mud puddles. 
It is very much like that with God. In our passage today, we get a glimpse of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. It's a passage that probably everybody in the room has read before. If you've read through the Gospel of John, you've read it. You've probably even heard sermons preached on it before. You've heard thoughts on it. But the glory that's revealed here about our Savior should be enough to cause us to just want to sit and meditate and enjoy Him forever, continuously, ongoing, all the time. Do you understand that Jesus provides our greatest joy? He is our satisfaction. He is very entertaining, for lack of a better term. I get great joy out of knowing him and learning about him. And you should too, and we should too more, right? Jesus is the finest entertainment humanity has ever seen. I know that sounds crazy. We think entertainment's bad. But he is. He is beautiful. He is the one to sit and watch. Now... I think this is one of the things we try to stress at our church here. It's about the Word. It's about knowing Christ. It's more than just being entertained when you come. No, and yes, you see we have some drums. These might be added in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We're actually considering doing that. You've noticed those. Listen, we're not trying to entertain you. We don't want to entertain you. We want Christ to entertain you. We want you to enjoy Him and be satisfied with Him. If we add these things, it's not for your entertainment. It's to help with worship, to exalt Christ more. That's the only reason. Do you understand? I want you all to focus your attention on these things. And if our, if our church sometimes appears to be a little boring, oh, this guy, he just gets up there and preaches for 45 minutes to an hour, and that's... Basically, the bulk of our service is about preaching the Bible and reading Scripture. It's because God is all satisfying. And we want you to be taste and see that the Lord is good. He's very good. So let's look at our passage today. Today we're going to see, get a big picture look of the glory of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus. In this, we will examine three facets of the glory of God revealed in Jesus so that we will pursue our joy in Him continually. My prayer is is that everyone will be encouraged to pursue Christ more passionately today. And so we start first, notice in verses 114, that Jesus is the incarnate God. We see it in the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse is conceptually inside the Gospel of John's introduction. It's found in verses 1 through 18. It's the introduction of the Gospel of John. This verse in verse 14 is actually parallel to the verses 9 and 11. Verse 1, or chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. If you look over there, you see... There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Verse 14 
and verses 9 through 11 are actually parallel concepts. They have the same main idea. And that is, God came into the world to reveal himself to the world. Both of those verses, or both of those sections, reveal the same truth. Now, in verse 14, the emphasis is more on God, how God came into the world. He came into the world through the Son. The Son became flesh. Literally, the Word became flesh. Notice, we can see how He came into the world, and we see that God became man. In verse 14 there, it starts, "...and the Word became flesh." This concept or this title, the Word, it's a title that points to God's self-disclosure of Himself. Here, as in verse 1 of John chapter 1, we see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This title, the Word, is God's self-disclosure of Himself. This is a a title given to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. So Jesus is, literally, the self-disclosure of God. He reveals God. It's a special revelation of God. Jesus is a special revelation of God. And here we see He became flesh. Jesus has always existed. Literally, back in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. But at a specific time, Jesus, that is the Son of God, became man. Now, it's very important if you look at the verbs here in verse 1, it, He was in the beginning, implies that He has always existed. The Son of God has always existed. He never has a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's eternal. Do you understand? He's infinite. And at the same time, in verse 14, it does have a beginning here. And that is that he became man. So he is both 100% man and he's also 100% God. Now this is a mystery. This is very... um, You want to try to explain it. How do you explain the incarnation of God? Uh, You don't. It's a mystery. God became man. A man. But now I want you to stop for a second. I want you to meditate for a second on just how amazing this is. I think sometimes we read over something and we think, oh, yeah, God became a man. No big deal. And then we sit down and we watch a basketball game and a guy dunks a basketball and we go, wow, that was amazing. Did you see the donkey slammed it right in the guy's face? This is awesome! God became a man. Yeah, I've read that. (laughs) Do you you see how crazy that is? God became a man. We should be going, Wow! God became a man! Shouldn't we? We jump up and down over somebody catching a little round oblong ball and scoring a touchdown. But... God become a man, became a man? Oh yeah, I've read that before. Do you understand? John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things came into being through Him. What's that mean? The Word. Jesus 
was one of the ones, one of the members of the Trinity that was working in creation to create everything. All of creation came into existence through Christ, through the Son of God. And that same Son of God became a man. Isn't that startling? That should make all of us worship all the time. We should just go, really? Wow! This means the entire universe came into being through Jesus. Jesus then turns around and becomes a man. To give you the perspective of just how big our our, our universe is, I, to, to help you to meditate on this truth, um, it took Sandy and Mark uh, roughly 20 hours to fly around the world to get back from Taiwan. Are we over the jet lag yet? Still getting there, yes. 20 hours flying in a jet, roughly, right? You had some stops along the way, right? But, think about this for a second. The moon here. If it was possible to fly to the moon in the 747, going 400 miles an hour, it would take you 26 days. 625 hours to get to the moon. Do you, do you realize how big that is? I mean, get on a plane, 20-hour flight. Can you imagine a 26-day flight without stopping? Stopping. Okay, that's, that's big. That is the closest object to Earth. That's the closest, you know, a uh, 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 celestial, what do you call it? Oh, man, my brain just went fried. <laughs> the closest object outside of the Earth. Closest one. How about this one? You see that little picture of the earth down there? You know, it's pointing, the little arrow. That's the sun in comparison. To, to get on a plane, if it was possible to fly around the sun, it would take you approximately 207 days, almost, you know, close to or almost a half a year, to travel, traveling at 550 miles an hour in an airplane, if you could do this, to get around the sun. That's huge, isn't it? That's how big it is. And this doesn't even compare to the, the galaxies and the, the universe. I mean, it's enormous. It's so much larger than anything we can even comprehend, isn't it? it, it we are just a speck of a speck. We're just eh, little, nothing. And yet, the one who made it all became one of us. The one that holds that whole universe in his hand became one of us. That is dunking a basketball. That makes anything I've ever seen nothing, doesn't it? Is there anything more awe-inspiring than that? Should we not all just be going, Wow! God became a man. Yet we read over these things and these thoughts and we just go, oh, yeah. yeah, Jesus became a man. Yeah, he's 100% God and 100% man. 
it's huge. Our solar system is just a fraction of the total size of the galaxy, our galaxy in the universe. Just a little bat. And he became a man. And then what's even more staggering is God dwelt with man. He hung out here. He literally pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled with us. Again, this is shocking. This is mind-blowing. If we consider the transcendence of God, how far out, how separated, how distinct, how different, how far above us God is, and the bigness of God, and the power of God, and the glory of God, and then we consider that He, the one who holds the universe in His hand, came and pitched His tent here with us. He lived here. He took on human form and lived on this earth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I owned everything, okay, if I owned everything, I'm fairly sure I would pick the easiest way to come into the world. I probably would have. How about you? I would have picked the time when it was the most convenient for me coming into the world. I would come when the doctors were ready, when the hospitals were going to be the nicest, everything was going to be the sweetest. I was, I'd be staying in a nice crib. My house would be a mansion and there would be lots of air conditioning. And it would be beautiful. Do you understand? I'd pick a nice place to come, wouldn't you? And a time to come? Jesus picked a time I would not have picked <laughs> in a place that some consider a desert, pretty hot, dry. And he lived and pitched his tent, and often he didn't have a tent. He had no place to lay his head. The creator of everything dwelt among us at a time that most of us would go, no way would I pick that if I owned it all. And yet we read over this and he dwelt among us and say, no big deal. Oh, this is just another one of those verses. Yeah, Mike, I know. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. How many of you have memorized that? You heard it? You've said it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But these are staggering truths. Our problem is, is that we don't engage our minds and think on the truths that are revealed here. We don't stop and say, wait a second now. Creator of all this dwelt here at this time? Like this? Is it not much more entertaining than anything you've ever read? Have you read a book that entertaining? Have you read anything that was that exciting? Have you read anything that was that compassionate and loving? That is the greatest love story ever told. And yet we just read over these things. He came and dwelt on earth. He literally took on flesh and lived on the very planet he created. He lived beside people that he was keeping their hearts beating. 
which is a wild thought. He was sustaining the earth at the same time while living here as a man. He didn't stop being God. Now, how do you figure all that one out? You figure that mystery out. Come talk to me. But he was 100% God and 100% man. He didn't stop being God. God dwelt with his creation. And one of the startling things is, is that the creation that he came and dwelt on was under a curse because they hated him. All the people that he was engaged with were people that were born in sin, hating and rejecting him. And yet that's who he came to hang out with. This is a glorious God. This is the chosen one. This is the chosen one. All y'all that have been watching sports, I'm sorry. There's only one chosen one. And his name is Jesus. And he is a king. By the way, he didn't ever have to announce, I'm the chosen one. It was obvious he is the chosen one. Notice next, God revealed himself to mankind. This is humility. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only begotten son from the father. Full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. God is invisible, right? Everybody understands that. But God made it possible to see his glory through the incarnation of the son. God's glory is his weightiness. Glory in Hebrew actually has the idea of being weighty or heavy. God's glory is who He is. It's the disclosure of His perfect, holy character. God's glory is all of His goodness revealed. His glory is His character and His nature. In this case, the apostles were an eyewitness to the glory of God. Seen in the incarnation of Christ. They just saw how amazing God is through seeing Jesus. And God basically said, hey, I'm going to show you who I am. You know, Moses asked, show me your glory. I'm going to show you who I am. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to become man. And he became a man just to show his glory off to us. Again, literally, glory as the one-of-a-kind Son from the Father. Glory. The phrase points to the intimacy within the Trinity. The only Son from the Father. There are not multiple sons as the Mormons claim. There is one Son. He is one-of-a-kind. He is unique as we will see. He is the Word who was with God from eternity past. This one literally came and showed the glory of God to mankind. The concept of where the Son was before creation is a key theme pointing to Jesus' deity. If you look back in one, it says, And the Word was with God. Literally, prostantheon, face to face with God. 
It was an intimate relationship with God. The Trinity has always existed. All three members perfectly in perfect relationship and union. Always. And what did God do? What did one of these members of the Trinity do? He literally came and took on flesh to show you what God was like. To reveal the glory of God. This is what we should be marveling at. This is what we should be meditating on. These are the things, the truths that should be continually flooding our minds and thinking on. And we should be meditating on. This is what should entertain us. Shouldn't it? We should be standing going, wow, all the time. Why are we so easily satisfied with and entertained by things that don't matter compared to seeing the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus? Why? Why are we this way? We have this book. We read about it. It's the revelation of God. It tells us who He is. And yet we pick up other books and read them. We spend an hour or two playing a video game. Now, I'm, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not saying don't ever play a video game because video games are evil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you, why are we so easily satisfied by things that just are not as good? It, it, it reminds me, why eat a a bowl of dried beans when you could have a steak and lobster. Why is it that we... I do it too. Don't get me wrong. I like football. But why am I so satisfied with such menial things? When we can see the glory of God as we study the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I want God to change my heart. I want God to change your heart. I want you to know so how glorious He is so that you will just like, oh, i got to have more of that. Give me some more Bible. Please give me more Bible. Talk to me for another hour. We don't have people saying, man, I wish that game went to overtime. We have people saying that, yeah. I thought when, when that guy made that shot this week and, you know, sent it to overtime, I was like, wow, this is cool. This is a good game. I'm glad it went going to overtime. Glad it's not over. How many of you, when I finish my sermon, you're going, don't, don't stop. Keep going. I want some more, Jesus. Tell me some more about him. Instead, what you do? As we go home, we throw our Bible on the table and we maybe pick it up for 15 minutes the next morning and then we go about our life. We should be like running home. i got to study this some more. What else is here? But we don't, do we? It's crazy, isn't it? God became a man and dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The disciples got it. Once they got it, they were like, 
Oh, now you're speaking clearly. You came from God. You know everything. And then they went out and denied him. <laughs> this is the greatest act of humility by our own God that he would become a man and reveal himself. Listen. Why? Why would God do this? Why would he condescend to show us this? Why would he be so humble to do this? Because he's full of grace and truth. And he knows that our joy is found in who he is. Our joy, our satisfaction, our delight is found in knowing who he is, which is he is full of unmerited favor and truth. He's full of this. This is all that his character is about. Grace is literally God's unmerited favor. It is God's blessings to unworthy recipients. Jesus is literally full of God's unmerited favor towards sinners. And we see this as we study Him. Haven't we seen it in Luke? As we study through John and as we study through Luke, don't we just see Jesus is so gracious, isn't He? Here is the very God-man that made them. And they are rejecting Him and hating Him and seeking to kill Him. And yet He continues to pour out His love and proclaims gracious words and kind words. He goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. She's been worshiping a false god. She hates him. And yet he says, if you would get me a water, I'll give you living water. You ask for me, and I will give you living water. And then he reveals that he is the I Am, the Messiah. Why is he so gracious? Oh, because that's who he is. That's his character. That's his nature. He is gracious. And he's truth. He's genuine. He's real. He's factual. He's a factual revelation of God. In this case, he is a revelation of God in human body. Jesus was a full, accurate, perfect self-disclosure from God. God says, let me show you who I am. I am truth. Here he is, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. Perfect. Genuine. So to summarize, God became a man. He revealed his glory to mankind. And the revelation of God's glory was revealed in Jesus, the Son. And he was, re he was revealed to be full of unmerited favor and truth. So let me ask you a question. If we know Jesus, how should we respond? What should we look like? What should our lives look like? Jesus was God's self-disclosure of Himself in human form. Jesus said as much several times. Look at John 14, 7. He says, literally, if you had known Me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know Him and have seen Him. And then He says to Philip, just as, uh, one sentence later, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. And He says in John chapter 12, verse 45, And He who beholds Me, beholds the One who sent Me. This means, beloved, if a person says they believe in Jesus, 
but they say he is not God incarnate, then they believe in a different Jesus. Do you understand? This, this pretty much eliminates all other religions. It, there's no other religion that is truth except for genuine biblical Christianity that says Jesus is God. That's it. That's very exclusive, I know, but that's the way it is. Take it up with Him. He is God. If your Jesus is not God, then your Jesus is the wrong Jesus. Real simple. Just because you call your, your follower, the one you follow, Jesus, doesn't mean that He is the one true God unless... He is who the Bible says He is, not somebody you've made up in your mind. If you want to know who God is, who should you pursue? Jesus! He's the revelation of God to you. So we pursue Him. Pursue God incarnate, Jesus Christ. By the way, believer, this pursuit of Him is not an occasional pursuit. This isn't something that we do just occasionally. We pursue Him in every single thing we do. In every single thing we say. I think that this is the one concept that we all, Christians especially, have a problem with. I think we pursue Jesus at special points in our day instead of pursuing Jesus every second of the day. I think we're required to pursue Jesus Every second of the day. How do you do that? Well, you pursue Jesus in your conversations. You pursue Jesus in your work effort. You pursue Jesus when you're in the line at the grocery store. You pursue Jesus all the time. When you're changing a dirty diaper, you're pursuing Jesus. Really? How do you do that? I think it's got to be a Christ-focused, be thou my vision, O Lord. Constantly thinking on Him, who He is, what He's about. It's always, it's not just occasionally, it's all the time. I bet that would change our, where we get our entertainment, wouldn't it? I think it would change, every, it would change a lot, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if you thought about Jesus all the time, what would your conversations, would they change any? Yeah, he's everything. He's who we pursue all the time. Next we see Jesus was verified by John. And we see this in his life. Is Jesus your life or a part-time friend? Knowing and enjoying God is what we were made to do. We see this, Jesus was verified by John. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he who, whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In this prologue to the Gospel of John, John the Baptist, that's not the same guy that wrote the book, his role as the forerunner is mentioned twice in verses, one, in verses 6 through 8, and then again here in verse 15. Again, it's paralleled. Here we get a glimpse of John's ministry in this little verse. It says, first, John bore witness about him. John bore witness about him. 
The idea is, is John validated or announced the person and work of Jesus. Not that Jesus needed it. Do you understand? Jesus didn't need John the Baptist in order to be Jesus. Jesus was good without John the Baptist saying, you're good. But John the Baptist validated or verified that Jesus was good. He was the one. John's role was to announce the arrival of the incarnate God. And by the way, Jesus doesn't need me either. I can stand up here and scream and yell and give you all these glorious pictures. He doesn't need me to be good. He's plain good without me. He's glorious without Pastor Mike. You need to pursue him because he's good. You don't need to pursue him because Pastor Mike got you excited about pursuing him. Jesus is glorious. Pursue him. He doesn't need the preacher. By the way, if your only glimpses of Jesus are from this pulpit, you're in trouble. Do you understand? Your walk with Christ is not good. That, I'm going to lay it out there for you. If your understanding of Christ is only found from this pulpit, you are really in dire straits. You're on the verge of a catastrophe in your walk with God. You need Jesus. You need to pursue him yourself in the word. Notice, though, that John cried out. Yes, this was my little pitch here. I think there's emotion involved. There's passion involved. Do you understand what I mean by that? John knew who he was, and it caused him to what? Literally, this is crazy. Cry out. So you can literally translate this. He screamed out. He's real loud. <laughs> this is passion. This was he whom I said. <laughs> he didn't need a microphone. <laughs> the passion just came out of him. Why? Because he saw the glory of Christ. He knew who he was. I guarantee you. Anybody ever got excited about anything? Some of y'all are like, I never get excited about anything. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I've sat with some of you guys that are totally the most calm, collected people I've ever seen in my life sit and watch a football game with you, and I'm like, who are you? I'm telling you, I think it has to do with allowing ourselves to absolutely be totally engulfed in Christ and not worrying about what other people think. I have to confess, there are times where I'm standing out here and I do something and I think to myself, man, y'all must think I'm an absolute lunatic. I'm crazy. And then I catch myself say, who cares? Jesus, you are good. I could care less whether you think I'm a lunatic and I'm up here screaming. Now, if I'm screaming just to get you excited, then that's a, wrong, that's a sin. But if I'm crying out because I've seen the glory of Christ in my study 
and I just can't wait to share the glory of Christ with you, then that's right. It's biblically true. Passion that comes from a glimpse of Christ is good. Passion that's meant to invoke an emotional response is wrong. If I'm trying to manipulate you with my passion, I'm wrong. If I'm responding to the glory of Christ, then I'm right. Do you cry out? Have you ever got excited about Jesus? <laughs> Have you ever said, i got to tell you about Christ! Have you ever been reading your Bible? I hate this when this happens. Some of y'all have had this. You see something really cool, and you say, Oh, God, you are amazing. This is so good. Brenda, come here. Come here. i got to show you this. And you say it, and she goes, Yeah, I saw that two years ago. Yeah, I saw that a couple of years back. I was looking at that passage. Thanks. Here you go. Yeah. Not picking on my wife. I do it to her, too. She's been studying the names of God. She's, she walked in the other day. Oh, this is so good. This is really good. You should see this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm reading through Facebook. Yeah. That's good. What are we doing to ourselves? I think we see the glory of God and we cry out and what we forget is, is that everybody else is not at the same spot we are at the time that we just saw them. Yeah. And I want so much, I want to stand up here and scream this, get on fire, you've got to see Jesus, he's so good. And all of y'all are going, it's Sunday morning, Got to listen to this guy for 45 minutes. Food's coming, thankfully. John just cries out, screams out the glory of Jesus. Notice how John also acknowledges Jesus' rank before him. John was fully aware Jesus was more than just another religious prophet. He knew and proclaimed Jesus' authority over him. And here, this is a neat little phrase. You see that? Because he was before me. Listen, beloved. John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb before Jesus was in Mary's womb. If he was talking about birth, he wasn't wrong. Jesus was born after John the Baptist was born. Do you understand? He's not talking about that. He's talking about Jesus being God incarnate. Yes, we're entertained and distracted, right? John proclaimed Jesus' deity because he was before me. That's what he's saying. Listen, beloved. John knew that Jesus was God. And he cried out his rank and authority above him. When we truly get who Jesus is and what he came to do, we will have a very similar heart commitment to Christ. Is that our commitment to Christ? Is that your commitment to Christ? That's a good question for all of us to ask. We too will proclaim Jesus, won't we? When you know who he is, who do you want to tell? Everybody. Everybody. 
You know, one of the reasons why I, I named my oldest son Andrew is because of the passage in, in John's account where it says Andrew went and told Simon Peter. You know, who Jesus, we found him. We found him. Folks, when you get to know who Christ is, you're going to tell people about him. It's not going to, listen, I, I don't have to preach sermons on evangelistic message or methods. I, I shouldn't even have to. I shouldn't have to preach any kind of sermon on go out and proclaim the gospel. I shouldn't even really have to say that, should I? You know why? Because when you know who he is, you'll, what? you'll do what? You'll share him. It's not going to be this thing that goes, oh, 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 yeah, I forgot. i got to tell people about Jesus. What? You've forgotten Jesus. You haven't forgotten to evangelize. If you understand who he is, evangelism is natural. It's not a invoke thing. i got to provoke this. i got to get, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, get busy. Come on, do it, do it, do it. That's why you got churches that they talk so much about, okay, let's, let's have an evangelistic movement. Let's, let's start an evangelistic output. We're going we're gonna to start classes, okay? And you're going to learn how to evangelize. I don't think you actually need to do that. I think you need to proclaim the gospel, know Christ, pursue Christ, and, and evangelism is just natural. It's the outpour. It's what we do. It's who we are. We cry out Jesus. Why? Because He's good. And He's glorious. Do you understand what I'm getting at there? I'm not saying that you we can't refine what is the message and things like that. That's good. I actually teach personal evangelism at Clearwater. But one of the, reason, one of the things I do in the class, if you ask any of the people in the class, is I really don't talk about method that much. Very little do I talk about the method of how you present the gospel. Very, very little. You know what I talk about the whole class? The gospel. I've renamed the class. The gospel class. All I do is talk about Jesus. If you understand the gospel, then you will then what? Share him. Look, John one twenty six. John answered and said, this is what John says, Answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He understands who he is and what he's about. Then the next day, he, that is John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man whose rank higher rank than I, for I, he existed before me. Ladies and gentlemen, John 3, 30, John the Baptist makes this statement, and I think this is what it's all about. The more we know him, this is what it's about. John replied, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, again, what's the context for this? John's ministry seems to be going away. People are starting to go after Jesus and following Jesus, and less are following John, right? And so what's John, when they come to him and ask him, hey, everybody's going over there. And John says, hey, he must increase and I must decrease. Now the gist is what? My ministry is on the downslope. 
Because I came and was the forerunner, and I'm going away now. I'm going to probably die. I'm going away, but He's going to be exalted. It's about Him. And I want Him to be exalted. And by the way, listen. As a motto, as a concept, this should be our lives. This is what we should all be about. Do you understand? We should be about Christ being exalted and us being nothing. And, and listen, this is so very, very, very important, even with a guy like me I, that has passion that just kind of comes out of my blood. You know, I'm just constantly screaming about Christ and how good he is, right? Some of it is my passion. But my passion could get in the way if I'm making it more about me than him. That's too, That's a problem on the other side. Listen. All of this is about Christ. It's not about us. Your, your, your job, everything that you do, the way you train your children, the way you treat your wife, everything should be about making Christ big and you small. Do you understand? Think about that for a second. How that changes the way you live. If everything you do is about making Christ big, and you, nothing. You're going to be humble. You're going to be a servant. You're going to choose your words wisely. At the same time, you are going to be passionate, but you're going to be passionate for who? Yourself or Him? For Him. For Christ. He's going, it's going to be all about Him. All about Him, not about me. That is the Christian motto, isn't it? As we understand who Christ is, then He must increase and we must decrease. By the way, that fits in conversations amongst the, us that want to get into theological debates too. We get together in our little conversation times and we sit and we say, Oh, I'm going to win this argument. I believe in limited atonement. And I'll give you ten reasons why limited atonement is true. You ready? Here, you look at this verse. How about this verse? Who are you exalting? Yourself. If you're trying to win an argument, you're not saying, he must increase, I must decrease. You're saying, I must increase so that I can prove my point. You know what that is? Pride. You're eclipsing the sun. You're trying to get, you're getting in the way of the very doctrines that you're trying to talk about. You got to be careful. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Don't just argue for the sake of arguing. Look, Christ is good. Make it about Him, not you. Does our message and our life confirm our understanding of Christ? Those are the questions you need to ask. And finally, we see Jesus has provided grace and truth. I'm not going to get through all of this, but it'll be good things for you to meditate on. For of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. We can't even get, begin to 
comprehend the depths of the glory that's revealed in this passage. Look at verse 16 briefly. Jesus has provided saving grace. It says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Literally, that should be translated grace instead of grace. The preposition in the Greek is anti. The idea has the idea of instead of more often than it does upon. Upon would be the only time it's used that way in the entire Bible. So I don't think it's that way. I lean more that it's instead of. And the idea is, is that he's saying instead of previous grace, God has given us this new saving grace. And Jesus is full of this new saving grace. And he develops it in the next passage. But if you remember, I said there's parallels in the introduction. 1, 4 to 5 gives you the parallel and it'll tell you what I'm talking about. Because look, uh, don't go there yet. Look over at 1, 4, 5. 1, 4 to 5. When you see this ver- these verses here, it makes a very, very important point. It says... In him was life, that is, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The parallel to that is our verse down in verse 16. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You say, how is that parallel? Well, you see, in verse 5 it says, did not comprehend it. It's literally did not receive it. Okay, in the darkness. And what, it, what does he mean by this? God reveals himself graciously. He shows himself through the creation. And the creation, everywhere you look, you see God, don't you? You see the glory of God everywhere you look, don't you? But in our darkness, in sin, the world rejects it and does not receive this grace, this understanding of God. So what happened? God sent His Son to be the special revelation, which is grace instead of grace. The fullness of unmerited favor when God showed up and showed Himself to us. This is a neat concept. So I want to take you down to it, down through it real quick, and we're almost done. When you look at these pictures, these are from Rick Dome. This is Kyle's dad. Some amazing pictures. You look at these pictures, and you look at creation. You stop and just analyze how amazing our artist God is. That's a, I think it's a caterpillar. It's amazing. The diversity, huh? God's an artist, isn't he? Is there an artist anywhere close to God? Not even close. That's an amazing frog, isn't it? A spider web. He made this thing to make these things so that it could catch its food. And he's just, Wow. The contrast, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Can, I mean, have you ever looked at your kid's artwork? You look at your kid's artwork and say, man, that's really good. That's good, it's sweet. But then you look at God's artwork and you go, wow. Isn't it? How much do we walk by? I mean, look at around the room for a second. Just look. I wish you could all be up here and look. It's like, whoa, God, you are amazing. The diversity in this room is just like, wow. And he made y'all all. Look that. Okay, so when you see these things, that's for you, Abby. Abby loves butterflies. 
We were chasing one around the other yesterday. It was amazing. Just beauty, isn't it? Yeah. Some of y'all are artists in the room. I mean, y'all, if y'all don't know, Miguel's an artist. He does some pottery stuff. Your, your pottery is pretty amazing, Miguel. But I'm sorry, bro. God trumps you. <laughs> he, he made his pots come to life. Isn't that staggering? He did all this. He just spoke. Boom. This is grace, isn't it? God shows us his glory. He says, look at who I am. I made all this. I spoke it all into existence. Look how good I am. Look how big I am. And what do we do? We didn't receive it. So what did he do? God became a man. came to earth, lived a perfect life, never sinned, died on a cross, took the wrath we deserve, was placed in a grave, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and is interceding on our behalf right now as our high priest. That is grace. Instead of grace. It's far beyond the grace. It should cause us all to go, you are worthy of all of our worship. Does everybody understand? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and kindness towards us. Lord, we pray that as we meditate on these passages and meditate on your Son that you will show us your glory. Help us to respond appropriately. Father, we pray that you will be our vision. You will be our wisdom. You will be our attention. You will be our primary means of satisfaction. And God, every moment of our lives that we are not satisfied and rejoicing in you, we pray that you will help us to redirect our attention back to you. Show us your glory. Help us to rejoice in you. We pray this in Christ's name.